Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Today, um, Ms. Marnie Jamison Carey. She's the executive director of the um, uh, Association of Independent Doctors. And uh, Marnie, I want to thank you so much for coming on today because we're having, I think we're at a crossroads actually in our healthcare system where doctors are, have been used as, as um, I guess, the workhorses for the corporate driven healthcare system. And we have to make a decision, I think, as doctors and patients, whether we want to continue that or if we want to take our power back and have the power of the independent physician rule the healthcare system. So I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule because I know you're doing just yeoman's work out there in, in our defense. Well, thank you for having me. It, it's an honor to talk about this, and it's important that we get to share this message. So I, I appreciate your having me on the show, Elena. Well, let's start off for those who don't know about AID. How did it get started? And um, First of all, tell us a little bit about how you came to this. It's a very interesting story. Yeah, it, it's an interesting story. Um, AID started in 2013 by uh, two certified public accountants here in Florida. And they represented a number of over 100 independent medical groups in their accounting firm, which is very well-respected and well-established. And they were seeing firsthand the decimating effects that the acquisition of these practices was having on the community and, and independent doctors in, in, in this case, Central Florida. And, you know, they were saying somebody should do something about this. And, you know, like so many smart, strong leaders, they said, well, maybe it needs to be us. So park that idea. And meanwhile, I'm over at the Orlando Sentinel working as the senior health reporter. I came out of the LA Times where I was a health reporter since 95. And uh, the Tribune owns the LA Times and the Orlando Sentinel. And for long reasons, I ended up in Florida. And they, they parked me over at the Orlando Sentinel where I was the senior health reporter. So I covered the beginning of the trade association, the first meeting where 100 doctors got together, 100 angry doctors, <laughs> and uh, paid $1,000 to kickstart this a trade association, and I was just covering it as a reporter and thought this was a really important story, and it made the front page and it got shared. And that story generated another couple, maybe 100 or so doctors, to join, and the association slowly started to grow, and, and 15 months later, the same two accountants called me and asked me to dinner. I thought they wanted more media, which is why I usually get asked to dinner. Mm -hmm. And they uh, they said, no, we need someone to run this thing, and we think you're the person. So I took a look at what they were doing and thought it was really important, and I took a look at the future of journalism and thought that wasn't too promising, and here I am <laughs> four years later. Well, thank God you are, because you guys are making some real headway. And we are. I say very exciting. It's so important, as you know, and, and, and you're doing a great job, too. It's just we all have to do this together. It's mm -hmm. important. Well, Tell me about, from a, a doctor's perspective, what's the benefits of becoming an AID member? Well, I know we like to say we give, you know, doctors are busy and they they're, have a skill set and we need them to do what they're doing. We need them to take care of patients and keep patients healthy. And I want them to do what they do and let me do what I do, which is I'm a communicator. And I, I share the message to, I work hard to get the message out to lawmakers, consumers, the media, 
businesses about why America needs independent doctors. So I provide a voice for them, a collective voice that they don't have the time, resources, or clout to achieve on their own. I mean, we have huge organizations, as you know, the American Hospital Association, Mm -hmm. the American Medical Association, which we can talk about later, which really doesn't speak for independent doctors, Um, huge insurance lobbies, pharma, all these have megaphones in in Congress's ear, and, and independent doctors have zero representation until a voice like ours comes along and speaks out on their behalf. So that's what we do. I, that's that's the macro reason. Um, I like I like doctors to join the association for that reason because we are organizing and collecting a voice and, and creating uh, some headway in an area that they there was a vacuum. There are other real benefits, tangible benefits are we provide a tremendous uh, discount on medical malpractice for our members. It's a 15% discount through a program, a company called Covaris, an A-rated medical malpractice insurance company that writes in all 50 states. It's been around for 45 years. They're super, and they really believe in keeping doctors independent because if all the doctors go to work for the hospital, then they don't have, and hospitals are self-insured, they're out of business. So mm-hmm. they have skin in the game, and they're supporting us profoundly with significant discounts for our members. And most members are, we have one group that's saving, the doctors, three doctors, saving $34,000 over the, what they used to pay a year and uh, getting better insurance. And most doctors save, individuals save five or $6,000. So that pays for membership right there. Absolutely. And yeah. from a, I'm curious now, because I've been to D.C. and I've seen you in D.C. as well. You know, one of the things that struck me about their mentality towards physicians is, and I was told this by an aide, that if the doctors are uncomfortable or, or they're unhappy, then they think that they're doing their job, which is, it was shocking to me. He's like, don't tell anybody up here that you're, that you're uncomfortable, you're unhappy, or it's a problem for you, because they're going to double down. Have you, I mean, now that you've opened these doors, just in general, was it hard to get in there? Did you find that they were, you know, amenable to listening to the plight of physicians, or did you really have to educate them? Um, well, both, and there's a third part of this. Um, I think, I, I, I know, I, I cannot do what you do. I cannot, I am not a doctor. I have, I cannot read an x-ray or deliver a baby or remove tonsils or do any of the <laughs> things that you all do. But I can speak out for you in a way that you cannot. And primarily, I when when doctors complain, it sounds like they're whining. Mm-hmm. And Americans don't tend to feel sorry for doctors. They think you all have it made, which I know you don't. When I complain, it sounds like I'm advocating. So I think that I get a little different reception. And that's just a... a a paradigm shift, I think. But I do think that doctors feel that they're beating their heads against the wall. But what I do find in, and this is the frustrating part on the Hill, is when I speak to lawmakers, they do seem sympathetic. They do want to get educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do give a, create a, I've created a lawmakers packet that I think boils it down, and these are the asks that we have that would really change the game. But then I turn around and I look at how much money they're getting from various entities, $30,000 from Blue Cross or $50,000 from a pharma group, and, and I cannot compete with that. I, you know, I cannot. I can only compete with ideas. So it's frustrating for me, and that's why we get into such a standstill is because there's just so much money getting thrown at these doctors to, or the, the congressmen and women mm-hmm. to maintain the status quo. I guess that's where the Affordable Care Act comes into play here. I mean, yeah. it, it was definitely not written by or for practicing physicians. No. And, you know, the 
the snowball effect of the passage of the Affordable Care Act and the and the annexation of independent practices. Do you see a connection there? I always did, but I want to know what your opinion is on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the hospital association was heavily behind it because the more fear they put into doctors, the more likely they are to be able to buy them. Mm-hmm. And doctors were feeling very vulnerable and shaken up for a number of reasons. I mean, there were, there were a couple dozen mandates in the Affordable Care Act, and one of the ones that really shook them up was the cha- the shift from fee-for-service to value-based care, whatever the heck that means. <laughs> and most doctors said, I don't know how to how to do value-based care. And then with that, with the electronic health record requirements, if you want to get paid by Medicare, you've got to jump through these hoops and get all this data collected. And the hospitals were laughing because the, ho- the doctors were giving up and mm-hmm. going right into the system, <laughs> which is what they wanted all along. It was a perfect storm. So, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how intentional it was, how devious it was, I but I do know who the people behind it were very happy to see it pass, and it was not a good thing for independent doctors. It was not a good thing for America. No, I'd, I'd have to agree. And I know that we're going to get in, delve into the, the true cost of health care after the break, but just uh, more, more in nut, nuts and bolts about the organization. How many doctors do you have now as part of um, AID, and how many chapters are there? We are so honored to have over a thousand members and thousand doctors have joined AID since we started and we have members in 33 states. So when I started in September of 2014, we had about 250 members. So we've grown nicely. Um, And where we have states that have a core group of at least 15 members, we could call it chapter. And we now have chapters in six states. And when we have a chapter, the nice thing is I have a little more clout to go with the lawmakers in that state oh. and also to the media in that state. And when I, when I call the media or a lawmaker, they'll say, well, how many doctors do, you know, in our state do you have? And mm-hmm. as members, if I say one or two, I don't have much leverage. But if I can say 15 and each one of them has 3,000 patients who are listening to what they have to say about health care, I suddenly get their attention. So oh. if we can't vote with money, we can vote with votes. And that's, um, that's the, the hammer I use to get lawmakers' attention, and it's also a lever I can use to get the media's attention when they know that there are that many people in their community who are on board. That's an excellent point. I didn't didn't even think about that. And from a power perspective, do you feel like you have more power on a state level or on the federal level when you you approach these um, legislators? Well, I'm in Florida, and we have a a lot of members in Florida, so I, I do feel I can get some groundswell here, but... I don't want to do something 50 times, Mm -hmm. and I'd rather get things done on the federal level, and I do feel that there's a bit more potential for wide-sweeping change, although I am a 10th Amendment kind of person, I like, you know, which means every state gets Mm -hmm. to decide their future. I'm not sure that that's that's the best, that's going to, that's going to take a lot of time. But that said, there are a lot of initiatives at the state level that are very important. I think Georgia just passed, as did Florida, a nice DPC law, which I think you want to talk about later, for direct primary care doctors. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing we do need to activate on the state level. And that's when I can tap my my members and help get behind them, give them the resources and the materials to go ahead and call their lawmakers, send information to their uh, patients and educate them about laws that they need to get behind. So when it comes to the state level, I lean on my members. And when it's the federal level, I go there in person. 
Got you. Look, let's take a break so we can uh, delve into more detail. Um, sure. Awesome. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with, with Ms. Marnie Jamison Carey, the Executive Director of the Association of Independent Doctors. And before the break, we were really getting into the meat of the power behind the organization. I mean, we have a lot of doctor organizations out there, and I think they each do different things, but I'm really struck by the efficiency with which you're able to get our voices in as independent doctors out there. And I wanted to, to talk about some of the, the law, be more specific now about some of the legislation that's out there and that's passed, you know. Let's talk about the one in Georgia and Florida about the DPC. And for those who don't know what direct primary care is, it's a, a strategy where patients pay a, a, a membership fee, a monthly fee, and it covers everything that goes on in the doctor's office, the doctor visit, lab tests, sometimes the doctor will dispense prescriptions. So for a flat fee, you're able to get a lot more value and direct patient contact with your physician, which is invaluable. I mean, the average doctor visit is now seven minutes, according to national, um, you know, things that have been written nationally. And in our office, it's 45 minutes for a new patient to an hour and half an hour generally for established patients. So we're definitely outside of the norm in our office. But th for the DPC legislation, tell us how what's gone on in, in, if you can, in Georgia and Florida. Well, they became, I, we were neck and neck. I'm not sure who was first, but it doesn't matter. But we tipped over into the halfway mark. Um, one of us became the 26th state to pass a direct primary care law. And they vary in different states, but I, I know in Florida, one of the challenges that direct primary care doctors was facing were facing was that they the government wanted to view them as insurance, mm -hmm. providing insurance, and, and, and govern them under the insurance code. And this law allowed them to say, no, we aren't selling insurance. We're actually just providing care for a fee. What a concept. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the insurance companies liked it that way, and the doctors liked it, and the hospitals liked it that way, but finally we got to clear the path for direct primary care doctors to provide direct primary care. And that has happened in 26 states, and it is sweeping the country. I was just speaking to a DPC provider who was an aid member yesterday, and the current numbers are there are a 1,000 DPC providers now in the United States, and they work with not just individuals who pay the fee, but it's a nice model for employers to pay a fee per employee to have access, you know, 24-7 or 365 days a year to a direct primary care provider and, and without having to go through the insurance loop. And it, it can reduce, I've seen the numbers, and when I was, I was on television talking about the DPC law when it passed in Florida, and the numbers that I saw was it reduces the cost 90%. Oh my goodness! Yes, yeah. So <laughs> and and patients are thrilled because they get the time, right? Because DPC providers don't have to, you know, spend seven minutes a patient. I, that's the key. I mean, everybody thinks that automation is is making healthcare cheaper, and it's actually the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, the electronic medical records and the mid levels and the way that the system is being set up, it's the least. Um, how can I put it? those with the least experience on the front line. 
and they're ordering more tests, they're calling more consults in the hospitals. It's a really expensive proposition. I mean, I'll give you an example. A patient called my office to make an appointment because the ENT that they went to, they were seeing the prep, was it the physician assistant who didn't know how to read a CT scan. I was floored when she said that. I'm like, are you kidding me? So this is what's going on. People think, oh, I'm just going to get a, it's going to be cheaper, it's going to be better. and It's not. This is the difference. How can you not know how to read a CT scan? Why are you the front line of care? Where's the physician? People have never seen the physician. That's where the DPC model shines. You always see the doctor. Mm-hmm. Always. There's a relationship. I don't get this, you know? Well, if you think about it, and, and as you know, in, in hospital-employed models and now even private equity are buying up a yep. lot of, a lot of uh, independent doctors and providing, you know, commoditizing them, like especially in dermatology, and, play, and they're buying practices that, don't, that have doctors that don't admit. But if when they start providing quotas, saying, if we're going to pay you a salary, we need you to see X number of patients a day, and that number is often 20, and that and with all the electronic medical records that they have to provide, that cuts into their day too. So they're really they're really stuck with spending seven minutes per patient, or, or maybe ten. But when I talk to doctors, they say we're so afraid we're going to miss something mm-hmm. that we definitely refer more than we need to. We refer to a cardiologist. Refer to we like well, it might be that, but if they had if they had twenty more minutes to spend the time drilling down on the patient's case and situation, they might be able to resolve it themselves. But they feel so rushed to get to the next room, they write a script, they order a test, they send out a referral to cover their bases. Mm-hmm. And the patients get run around and costs go up and care gets fractured and there's lots more electronic medical data running around and it's it's not efficient. Not in the least. I mean, I've seen patients that, you know, they're the mu- everybody's got an electronic medical record, but there's no notes. So there's no reason for the consult listed. They never speak with the physician. The patient doesn't know why they were sent. It's a total waste of everybody's time. I mean, right. <laughs> you're looking through the medical record, you know, the ancillary records from the, from the referring physician, and they're not, they're not relevant. Back in the day, you would pick up the phone and you'd call the doctor and tell them why you were referring the patient, period. And the, the, what question you want when it answered, so much easier. The patient was not left in the lurch to, you know, to be the, the go-between or to be the, 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 the carrier of the information. You know, I've seen patients, many, many, who don't even know what medicines they're on. You know, they'll tell you the blue pill, but they don't know, what co- you know, why they're taking it. So this is a problem with our healthcare system. When you go to legislators, is, do you, are you able to, to explain to them that level of disconnect? It's not what they think it is it's not it's not working the way they think it is and give these types of examples um i often there are there are a handful a growing number of congressmen and women who are mds who are now in office and um one of the ones we speak to is roger marshall he's out of kansas and he's a former when he's still an OBGYN. he doesn't practice anymore um and there are several who get it mm-hmm. and they are the ones I go to okay. um, and I talk with them and they they seem to have the ear of their colleagues and will you know help them understand and bring them along 
so some of them, I, I don't know if I can, I, I, do, I do say, look, electronic medical records isn't working, and doctors need to have the freedom to practice. What we really, really need is to get the intrusion out of the patient room, because I have this diagram where it shows a patient and a doctor, mm-hmm. and wedged in between them, there's the hospital, there's the insurance company, and there's the government. And how is that <laughs> supposed to enhance patient care when it really needs to get back to the patient and the doctor? So the, they really... They get that we need to get you all out of the patient room mm-hmm. and and return the sanctity of that relationship to the doctor and the patient. Um, and not to say that every doctor is perfect and, and there's no oversight necessary, but you can look at downstream out, stream outcomes pretty well to find out how a doctor's doing without getting all the data right from them. You can say, well, you know, how many emergency room visits did they have after they see the patient or hospital admissions or readmissions or infections or uh, things down the road without getting into the nitty gritty in each practice. So I think there are ways to make sure that doctors are, patients can understand if a doctor is a good doctor or not, and there's some accountability mm-hmm. without having everybody in their business. Well said. Now, I wanted to, you know, switch gears a little bit because the, and Medicare, I believe it's Medicare, is coming out with some acronym c- that was called <laughs> DPC, which I think is on purpose, <laughs> and it's uh-huh. Direct Provider contracting models. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that is that is disrupting to the market for sure. Um, and it, it does, we already have a, well, I don't say we, a lot of our doctors are DPC providers, so I'm speaking on their behalf, but they have established a, an acronym that is becoming well-known, well-accepted. Mm-hmm. There is a DPC coalition. Like I said, there, there are doctors, DPC doctors in 48 states. And now we have Medicare coming along with the same acronym, which is very confusing to the consumer and the marketplace. So the DPC Coalition, who doesn't really speak on behalf of all DPC doctors, I will interject. There's some confusion about that. But on this point, they agree that you have to use another name. Just stop. There's too much. The name has to change, and it's confusing to the public. So it, this is a proposal. It's it's just something CMS is um, throwing out there to see how it will be received. So we're a long way from having it come to fruition. Mm-hmm. But believe me, there are a lot of flares going up in the CMS office about this term, and I, I would be surprised if they didn't heed the warning. I hope they do. I hope so, too. <laughs> I cannot guarantee a thing, as you know, but I hope so, too. Oh, I mean, I'll do my part to make sure that it gets out there and then people have knowledge. You know, it's it's very mercenary. It's very, I don't know, cynical on their part. And I think, I think so. You know, ultimately, Marnie, I think there are two schools of thought. Should the healthcare system be controlled by the patient or should it be controlled by the government? I think these are the two wings of our our dilemma here. The single-payer folks want everything to come through the government, which is a disaster. We only know, we watch Medicare and Medicaid to figure out how that's going to work. And then there are patients, for whatever reason, I don't know why, think that if someone else pays for it, if the government pays for it, it must be good. And it's not true. I've spent years now trying to explain why that's not true. (laughs) Um, But is that how you see it? or, Or, you know, is it a free market system versus, uh, you know, government-based system? How do you see that? Well, I think what Americans do understand is the concept of a middleman. And if I'm giving money to you to take care of me, 
that's going to be a lot more cost effective than if I'm giving money to the government who's then taking a piece of it and giving it to you or giving it to insure an insurer who's taking a piece of it and giving it to you mm-hmm. or giving it to insurer who's then giving it to a hospital who's <laughs> then giving it to you. How Every time somebody puts their oar in the water, there's a big chunk of change that needs to get... Those people need to be compensated too. Mm-hmm. So it's the middlemen, and I don't want to say I'm sexist of middlemen and women, I'm sure there are both sides <laughs> involved, but as, as every time you interject someone who's supposed to, quote, help, they're adding cost. Exactly. So you've likely seen that diagram where it shows since 1970, the number of physicians has grown up pretty modestly, but by comparison, the number of hospital administrators has gone up 2,300 times mm-hmm. as much as the independent or in just doctors in general. So who pays for that? And that there's a lot of empty suits pushing paper and not doing ha, putting their hands on any patient, not signing any chart, and having no license on the line whatsoever. So in, in nonprofit hospitals, they don't even have any stock. So <laughs> it's like they're getting all this money for what? So there is a ton of waste in the system, and when you get to that across to consumers. I think they understand. I mean, yeah. if we could get rid, if we could have transparency, if, if consumers could understand what something costs before they get the service, what a concept, before they get their bill, then they could start choosing value. I think I'll go get an MRI here where it's only $500 than at the hospital where it's $3,500. So, and if, if they think it's just monopoly money that, oh, I've already met my deductible, it doesn't matter, it does matter because we all pay for that in the way of higher premiums and, and higher taxes. So I believe that we can educate consumers to say when you choose lower-priced, high-value care, you save everyone, including yourself, so that if we can get transparency so consumers can know where to go and eliminate facility fees, which, as you know, mm-hmm. are fees that hospitals get to charge that independent doctors cannot just for the argument that they keep their lights on 24-7 and take care of the sick and poor, which is a whole different conversation. <laughs> it sure is. Uh-huh. Um, they get to layer in this, quote, facility fee that makes health care costs four, five, six times as much as it would if you saw an independent provider. So we need to get rid of that. And I have gone to CMS, and I have this to them, we need to stop paying hospitals more for the same procedure as we do independent doctors, and they're in agreement. They're like, we want what they call site neutrality. We mm-hmm. want, we believe that, that a service should cost the same regardless of where it's prov- provided. Well, hallelujah, why don't we have that? They said because it takes an act of Congress. Really? CMS can't make that change. It is written into the law that way thanks to our very effective hospital association lobby. So unless we get the consumers to understand that, the legislators are still going to vote on on behalf of who's filling their pockets. It's it's a fact. So it's a long-winded answer, but I think people do get that there are other interests in here who are not adding value and taking a heck of a lot of money out of the system. I think on that note, so people can digest that, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. 
But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out of pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Before the break, um, we were speaking about legislation that basically is part of the problem. I mean, Marnie, I'm, I'm learning so much about how Congress has kind of put us in this in this box. I'm not sure that you knew about this, but I wrote an article uh, about a month ago almost now that talked about the problem with residency spots and the fact that there weren't they there's a moratorium on them and, uh, and it's not enough for to to educate doctors who graduate from medical school and this is an act of congress or a law in 1997 the balanced budget act which limited the number of residency spots that were allowed to exist and they decreased them actually so all the talk about there's not enough doctors out there is totally bogus because all we'd have to do is open up the ability for hospitals to have more residency spots. You would have doctors flooding the rural areas. You would have enough doctors to see patients, because they keep talking about how it's going to be over 100000 well over $100,000 doctor shortage in the next, uh, what, 20 years or so. This is all preventable. And, you know, you're, you're talking about this ability for these hospitals to legislate things like facility fees, what about the PBMs and the fact that, uh, what's your take on them, that they, they take out $300 billion out of the system every year, paid to them? I'm sure that's jacking up the price of medication. Absolutely. It's there, that's, another, that's the pharma industry and medical suppliers taking a huge amount of money for doing absolutely nothing. And not only that, but they are causing lethal drug shortages mm-hmm. of things as simple as saline solution. Because the way for the consumer, for the listeners out there, I know you understand the dynamic, but the way they've figured this out is that in order for a drug to reach all the folks who sign up for their GPO or their PBM, or just language for uh, group purchasing organizations or pharmacy benefits managers, GPOs buy on behalf of hospitals and PBMs buy on behalf of outpatient clinics and pharmacies. But in order to get to those hospitals and outpatient clinics and pharmacies, the drug supplier has to pay an admission fee. And it's often way more than the cost of the drug to to create to manufacture mm-hmm. just for they pay for access it's a pay-to-play kickback scheme that the safe harbor act of i think it was 1987 or 97 put into place that made it legal for these middlemen to get kickbacks to provide to, to distribute or be a channel for these medications to get to the providers 
which is horrible. <laughs> and they keep jacking up the rates. So some of the pharmaceutical companies say, forget it. It's not worth it to manufacture saline because cost, it costs us too much to pay to play. Mm-hmm. And so they shut it down. And so then we go and import it from China, which is ridiculous. Right. Or we don't get it. So it is horrible. And <laughs> it's another, we're working really hard on a safe harbor repeal act. And there is a bill out there. I sigh because... You know, I don't know if it's the pharma lobby is so strong, but um, there's Mark Meadows is a congressman mm-hmm. who has put together repeal the Safe Harbor Act, which we'd really like to see. If you see that bill coming along, you vote yes. Oh, absolutely. I, and so I know it's in committee with the AMA um, over the weekend. I'm not sure how how it got voted, but they were going to vote to see if they should get behind a repeal of the Safe Harbor <laughs> Act. I hope they did, but. Um, Anyway, like, they have to think about that? That's a problem I, well, right there. I know. I, I know. I know. I don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, uh, it's definitely one another big chunk of change that could get corrected. If we, if we could get rid of the GPO and the, and the safe harbor, if we could get rid of facility fees, if we could create transparency, and then I have another big one, if we could get rid of the abuse of the tax-exempt status of nonprofit hospitals. Oh, yeah. So 62% of the hospitals in America are, I'm not going to say nonprofit, I'm going to say tax-exempt. They make, they pay no real estate tax, no income tax, no no taxes at all, no sales tax, nothing. They're exempt from taxes. And yet they, you know, they behave like for-profits. They give their executives many times million dollar salaries and over and they have for you know here at florida hospital they have four billion dollars in unsecured assets wow they should be providing free care to the community for a year with four billion dollars in unsecured assets and they have several executives making a million dollars plus that is not the way a nonprofit should behave <laughs> so if the nonprofits paid the taxes they should and we got rid of all those issues i just we would save hundreds of billions of dollars a year and make health care better physicians would be happier costs would come way down quality would go way up we wouldn't be burning out our doctors it would be we would fix this wow so let's look at an i want to ask a practical question then sure all these hospitals let's say these nonprofits, from a money perspective they seem to be pac-manning up the community hospitals, they're becoming hospital systems. So you're saying every time they, they incorporate a new campus, take over new land, build a new facility, they're not paying any taxes on that? Not a bit. So that means everybody in that community is literally s- subsidizing them. Exactly. That's outrageous. It is. It makes me sick. We And here, and again, I look at the numbers in Florida, but they, two independent medical groups that were nicely running little businesses, paying their taxes. Mm-hmm. They were, A urology group and a cardiology group were both acquired by our health system. And right there, $350,000 came off of our tax rolls in my community. That, that was the amount of property taxes these two entities combined had been paying. Now, I'm not even talking about tangible tax or, or income tax or sales tax or any of the other taxes. I could only look at the property taxes. Mm-hmm. $350,000 buys a lot of police officers mm-hmm. and teachers and little league fields. And, oh, by the way, recently our property taxes went up 17%, and everyone's scratching their head. Why? 
because we have these huge behemoth health systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, Orlando's a dinky, we're 26th largest metro. We're Midland Metro. We're behind San Antonio. And we have two of the largest health systems, number four and number 11, in the country, right next to each other. So we get it really hard. But this is happening in every community that has nonprofit hospitals. And, you know, for-profit hospitals, and they're not saintly, but they provide charitable care, too. Mm-hmm. And they pay their taxes. So, come on, folks. <laughs> So imagine the, there seems to be, when you put it that way, the, those hospitals, nonprofit who are, you know, putting their names on stadiums or, you know, uh, running these commercials at, you know, nonstop or, you know, I guess um, a sponsoring uh, a, a sports team. That money really should be spent in the community, not, you know, blowing their own horn, doing nothing. Yes, and you've just you're you're preaching to the choir. I I just shiver whenever I see these billboards up and down the high up and down the interstate. You know, we're amazing. Life is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, propping themselves up, and then they have a skybox at the sports arena. Hello, who needs a skybox? How much is that anyway? I mean, so <laughs> to bring all your illustrious guests, yeah. it's it's not how it should be. And and they hand out water bottles at the marathon and call that community service. And you know they way overinflated on their ten ninety on their nine nineties, which is where they're supposed to account for this. But they inflate everything. And of course, if they do give charitable care, and that means they don't, you know, they take someone in who's indigent and they provide care for this person, and they don't charge him. They use the charge master price, which is <laughs> ten or fifteen times more. It's not what anybody pays. Mm-hmm. No, nobody who's insured or has Medicare would ever pay these prices. But that's what they get to write off on their. I mean, it's it's just a fit. It's rigged. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we gotta fix this. <laughs> we sure do. I mean, you just described what goes on on the corporate hospital and the nonprofit side, but for those doctors who have a private surgery center, they have to give care, free care. They don't get to charge or or take it off. You know, they're they're paying their taxes. It's a totally uneven playing field. It's amazing that there are any independent doctors out there because they're paying double what they should pay probably maybe more they're subsidizing the hospitals who really want to take them out they don't want any competition at all which is really sad (laughs) they want a monopoly they do and it's it's not just them it's the entire system you have the big you know corporate pharmacies they've taken out the mom and pop pharmacies you know they don't want any competition there the compounding pharmacies have been demonized and they're really useful but, you know, some str- one thing goes wrong with them, and that's it. They need to be shut down. I mean, it's a corporate takeover of the healthcare system. With now the power, which you described at the beginning of our, of our show, Wall Street is now involved. So now you have them, co- like, like vultures, coming in to pick over the, the what's ever left of the healthcare system. Can you describe, because I want people to understand, what happens when a corporate... Raider, because I don't want to put it any other way, because that's what they really are. They come in and they buy a practice or a group of practices. How do they get their their hooks in, folks? Did they pay them more than the value of the practice to get them in? Um, I think they promise them higher salaries than they are making uh, independently, mm-hmm. and they because they take over the overhead, they pay for their office space, their support staff, and they say they can pay them more money. And the reason they can afford to pay them more money is because as they grow and monopolize, they can 
I get bargain with bargain with insurers mm. really you know extort uh, insurance companies to pay more for the same service and then they get as you know mid-level providers in to provide yep. care that the physicians should be providing so they are getting more money for the same procedures for less quality and it's just a vicious cycle and they will I've seen letters that my members have given me when they're getting approached to and aggressively and frequently approached to be to sell it's it's a bully and bribe it's you know situation they bully them and to say we're going to run you out of this market and one of my doctors actually this the company that was trying to buy him ran an ad with with this doctor's practice name in it and put their phone number in it oh wow trying to divert patients to them. Another one finally got extracted himself from the whole system, and, you know, he would, he would then purchase and hated it and said, I am getting out of here. I can't do this anymore. And they sent a letter out saying he'd retired. Oh, when wow. he, I mean, they try to kill you. So there's the bullying piece of it, and then there's the bribe. We'll make it so much nicer for you. We know what you're making. You're going to double it, blah, 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 blah. So it's just horrible. And it's so horrible for patients. I mean, they, they end up really paying a lot more for, they're going to pay in their health and, and in their finances. Agreed. On that note, let's take our last break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Ms. Marnie Jamison Carey, the Executive Director of the Association of Independent Doctors, a thousand-member organization that's growing, doing amazing work, and is the advocate for both the doc independent doctor and the patient. And before the break, we were talking about the, p I think this is a pendulum, right? The doctors who get into these systems really figure out some of them pretty quickly that they they can't stand it and they're trying to get out of it and I got sent a link from AID a, a couple months back that really fascinated me about a group of uh, 100 doctors in Atrium Health and the fact that they were they left you know they they were able to beat the system and withdraw from the hospital did do you, can you tell us a little bit about that and do you think that's a trend I hope so. I was delighted to see that. It's the Mecklenburg Medical Group, and the doctors got, you know, what, what happens typically is that 
the doctor's contracts get worse and worse every year because they ex- the hospital requires them to see more and more patients, and it, they just make it harder and harder for them to get what they want. And they also didn't they didn't like practicing medicine that required them to meet certain quotas and volume and order a number of tests and have so many admissions, and they got sick of it. And I, what happened in this case is they filed a complaint. They filed a lawsuit to terminate their contract. Now they did have a contract, and there was an op- you know, the chance for them, the hospital, to really enforce it. But I think the hospital saw the bad press they were about to get because all these doctors were going to say they force us to do this, they force us to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not fair for patients. It's raising prices, and they they buckled and they released these 90 doctors from their contract, and they are now going out. They have a new. I think their new name is Tyrone. Tyron or something, a medical group. They have a new name. They're starting up independently, and they're and the, of course the hospital's trying to divert all the patients back to them. Um, you know, and they were they're kind of having a bit of, bit of a turf war, but they got out, and I think I think people went, wow, there it's gonna it's gonna make a difference, and I hope they are trendsetting setters and lighting the way and they inspired us when we heard about this we created an independent doctor toolkit it's free for any doctor who wants to get out of the clutches of hospital employment or residents who want to go into independent medicine they don't even know where to begin Mm -hmm. and the hospitals are already recruiting them heavily it's a toolkit to tell you exactly what you need to set up a practice and it's not daunting it's got checklists it's here's how you get your name and how's how you get your brand and here's how you set up your team and here's how you get your cash flow going and it's uh, online right now and there it's free to any doctor who's interested or anybody who's interested in looking at how how they can do that and and we're hoping that we can light the trail for them what's the website for that it's www.aid-us.org And on the home page, you'll see a little button that says Independent Doctor Toolkit. Okay. That's great information. Is there also an outreach or some sort of um, educational information for patients as well? Because I think one of the things that we're discussing, and you're absolutely right, the patients need to become healthcare consumers and not be intimidated by that, be empowered by it. Is there some um, educational information on your website that's specifically designed for patients. I think if patients, re- consumers get to our website and look over what our mission is, they'll they'll get that information. But the number one message I want to get out to every consumer out there is the number one question you need to ask your provider is not, "Do you take my insurance?" <laughs> the first question you ask is, "Are you independent or employed?" And sometimes the front desk doesn't even know the answer, but you get to the bottom of that, and if you get on the right track with an independent doctor, your cost will be a fifth of what it would be if you get on the other trajectory. That, that question alone is the single most important question you can ask to, for the future of your health care. I couldn't agree more. So if you choose, the, choose correctly, you can get out of those facility fees, those hidden yep. charges, Yep. There's transparency, there's um, bartering in some, my office barters, for example, sliding uh-huh. scale, all sorts of things that you can actually get better service that's user-friendly, right? Right. So let me give you a quick example. Let's say you have, you hurt your knee over the weekend, you go to your primary care doctor who's independent, and he refers you to an orthopedist who's independent, and that refer, or, orthopedist refers you for an MRI at a freestanding medical 
about three percent MRI clinic, and that's going to cost all of these. All of these moves will cost a fifth or a fourth of what it will cost if you go down the hospital path. And then you have to get outpatient surgery, and you go to a freestanding outpatient surgical center that the orthopedists and group you know run outside mm-hmm. of the hospital. And the whole the whole nine yards might cost seven thousand dollars. If you do that same same track, you go to an employed primary care doctor who has to send you to an employed orthopedist who has to send you to a hospital-owned MRI center. Everything's quadruple or quintuple. You're going to pay $35,000 for the same surgery. That's it's crazy. It's a bad path. That's and those a doctors have to refer in-house. Anything outside of that's called leakage, and they are strongly recommended in their contracts become on the line. So the doctors and the employed model are incented to order more tests, refer you, because it makes the hospital money, and it makes them look better in the eyes of their employer. And that's the key that consumers need to realize is when you go to an independent doctor, their allegiance is to you. When you go to an employed doctor, their allegiance is to their employer. You're preaching to the choir here. I say that almost every week. I totally agree with you on that. Now, why isn't Stark Law apply to this? This is self-referral. This is actually, it's ingrained in a contract. It can't be. I mean, they always get the doctors for sending to within their group kind of thing for Stark. Why does that apply to these guys? Well, I think because it's all one company. Mm. I think it's because you can't, you, you don't. They own everything, so they're not even referring to themselves. They're just moving things around among their departments. <laughs> wow. But that's uh-huh. sad, right? Because Medi- if Medicare is trying to save money, then they would encourage people to go to independent doctors instead of paying premium dollar for, I believe, it's not the same standard of care anymore. I mean, this is just such a stupid system, isn't it? It is. C- CMS does say, and their their records show, that they would like to see site neutrality and they would like to see the elimination of facility fees. And if we could stop that, that's a flywheel. When a hospital knows you can get more money for a procedure if it buys the doctor, that if the doctor's independent and refers a patient for that procedure, they're incented to buy the practices, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if we didn't have facility fees, there w- that incentive would go away and they would stop preying on practices and gobbling them up and doctors would be free to practice independent medicine. But the other piece of this, which is frustrating, is the independent doctors are treated like C-level you know, they're 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 the, t- the C tier. They get the worst OR times. They get the slowest lab results. The hospitals put their employed physicians on the gravy trail, but the independent doctors get the you know second best OR team. It's bad. It so is. they're and sometimes they, their privileges get jerked around because the hospitals would much much rather have their employed physicians happy and bringing in patients because they make so much more off of each of them. This is so sad. It's gross. And the insurance companies, they, they, do they? I mean, did, oh, I'm, do they care that they're paying a differential from a for a doctor who's in a hospital setting versus an independent doctor? So here's another inadvertently horrible effect of the Affordable Care Act. 
So one of the mandates in the Affordable Care Act was the medical loss ratio provision. And that said that for every dollar that an insurance company gets in premiums, 80 cents of that dollar has to go back to to claims to take care of a patient, and only 20% can go to the overhead and the profit of the insurance company. On the surface, that's great. But of course, you know, business is always two steps ahead of government. Mm -hmm. They figured out that 20% of of $1,000 is more than 20% of $500. So everybody's premiums went up because their 20% got a lot bigger. They have no incentive to keep costs down much as they say they might. Wow. That's crazy. I'm depressing everybody. No, no, you're educating everybody so they can stop putting their heads in the sand and hoping for the best and thinking that the the Congress will fix it. They're not going to fix Mm -hmm. it. You just described how this system, this peculiar system, is based on theft, graft, you know, falsehoods, and fear. That's how they're basing this on. For everybody, the patient and the doctor, if you don't have insurance, you're going to die. That's how they got the Affordable Care Act in place in the first place. Now it's if you have it, you're going to die. It's just, it's just sick on all sorts of levels. But you just described how patients don't have to play the game. Go independent. Go freestanding. Do your own That's homework. Right. That's I mean, right. Stop feeding the beast. Exactly. I mean, and demand qu- prices up front. And if they don't give it to you, go somewhere else. There was a bill that passed, and it was a bipartisan bill in Ohio, a transparency bill that was unanimously passed in their legislature. And Governor John Kasich has refused, to, has blocked it from becoming law because of special interests. Even though it has been voted into law, he's making sure it doesn't ever take effect. And he's kowtowing to the AMA, the AHA, and insurance companies to prevent this. The special interests are winning. And this was a unanimous vote. So this is what we deal with. Wow, I'm so happy you're out there fighting for us. <laughs> I just want to thank you so much well, for thank everything you, for letting you do. Me vent. <laughs> it's like a like catharsis, right? I tell my I people my blood pressure doesn't go up because I have a show every week. I get to say what I really feel. There um, you go. <laughs> how can people reach you? Because we have about a minute left. Yeah, please. Re- info at aid-us.org is our website and our and our email address. Um, I get that. My assistant gets that, and we both, you know, we respond to everything we get. And we, or you can call us at 407-571-9316. And uh, we have a website, and we love to get members. It's $500 a year to join. We'd love to get more members, so please uh, sign up, and, and you're the wind in our sails. So we appreciate your support. Marty, you're the best. I really, really, really love having you on. I can't wait to have you back on again to let us know about more of your successes. Thank you. It is my pleasure, truly. Have a blessed day. You too. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.